Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. One of the things I'm celebrating today is that we are at least one week closer to seeing each other in person. Uh, Let's be all in prayer together that this vaccine uh, will be effective, that we'll soon be back together uh, worshiping here in this room. But today we worship together apart and we listen together to the word of the Lord from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and I am uh, beginning my reading in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he went a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and his brother John who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. In a a Peanuts uh, comic strip, Linus uh, is listening to Lucy uh, talk about her potential as an evangelist. She says to Linus, I'd have made a good evangelist. You know that boy that sits behind me in class? Well, I convinced him that my religion is better than his religion. Linus said, how did you do that? She said, I hit him with my lunchbox. Well, sadly, the church's uh, witness in the current state might look a little more like Lucy's method than we would like to admit. But, but there are healthy models for sharing the good news. And the current condition of our nation makes this witness to good news all the more urgent. So last week and this week, I'm focusing on evangelism. Last week, we looked at Philip's simple appeal to Nathaniel, come and see And noted that the Christian witness is not reserved to those uh, who've taken courses, have notebooks, certificate of completion, and all of that. The growth of the Christian faith and Christ's church is mostly a story of people who go to someone they care about and say, come and see. And even the most timid of us can go to someone we love and say, just just come and see for yourself. Well, today is part two 
And truthfully, I might have gotten these two out of order. I I think you'll see in today's story why there is something important and urgent that precedes come and see. So so let's take a look at uh, this story in Mark's gospel together. So, So Jesus is strolling along the banks of the Sea of Galilee. He's watching the fishing industry at work. Boisterous men and boats and chatter and cleaning fish and mending nets and all the rest. And Jesus sees Simon and Andrew fishing. They're they're casting a net. And there's no reason to think that Jesus has has had some earlier encounter with Simon and Andrew. This appears to be the first time. And he, he walks over to speak. Now, since there is no mention here of Jesus walking on water or anything, and since they're fishing and he walks over to speak, it seems like they must be uh, working from the banks, bank fishing, which some have suggested is a sign that these two are on the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder, two guys fishing who can't afford a boat. But Mark notes that they are fishermen. It is their identity. It's their job. This isn't two bankers who took the phone off the hook at lunchtime and took the afternoon off and decided to go fishing. This is who they are. And and Jesus saddles up to these two who are slinging and hauling in their nets and simply says, follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now I, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to put a, a a bookmark in the story right there. I'm going to I'm going to hold the story and and step over and do a little aside. I, I I seldom do these little side rants, but I've got a rant boiling in me that I just need to get out of my uh, get out of my head, and then we'll get back to the story. But I do want to say that. This will tie back into our story, I think, in important ways. My little side rant over here in parentheses is about inclusive language in the church. Some of you probably heard the story from a couple of weeks ago from the U.S. Capitol that stirred up some controversy. This story didn't get much airtime because it happened about the same time as the riots in the capital, and so rightly it did not get a lot of airtime. But what happened was that a U.S. congressman in the U.S. House of Representatives ended his congressional prayer by saying, Ah men and ah women. Now he later said that that was a pun, that he was trying to acknowledge a, a, a large new class of women into the Congress, but, but many critics said it was just a ridiculous attempt of the far left to be inclusive at all cost. So, in response, here's my aside about inclusive language in the church. First, and I hope you've noticed, I, I try really hard to use inclusive language. But let me say why, why and when and where. First, for instance, when the Bible says... If a man sinneth, 
Well, we know the Bible's not just talking about guys. Women aren't off the hook, right? So, the language of man is used for all people, so it is more inclusive and more accurate to translate when a person sins. And I think that kind of inclusive language is always appropriate and always more accurate, which is why I give serious attention there. The next issue is about male language for God. I mean, the scriptures do often talk about God as Father, He, Him. But male language is not the only appropriate language for God. The the psalmist speaks for God saying, O Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. That's just one of the feminine images for God in our scriptures. And, and, And I think we can agree that God is neither male nor female, that God transcends gender. We use our concrete and limited images to reference the eternal and limitless God. So I think that the insistence that God is He is unfounded. And you might notice that I take great care to avoid gendered language when talking about God because I think it's limiting language. But these two sensitivities take on the weird and extreme when we take away gender from people who have gender. Jesus is male. Disciples, male. We refer to them as he. And two weeks ago, when the congressman concluded his uh, prayer, amen and women," amen simply means so be it. We don't go around looking for every time M-A-N shows up in a word and try to expand it into something inclusive. That kind of extreme manages or manages to make ridiculous what ought to be a valid value. It's silly. All right. My little rants aside now. Now I want to pull it back and tell you why I think this rant matters in today's story. Because I think here, inclusive language has created trade-offs that interfere with the original meaning. You see, older translations, the one you might be familiar with, would say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we know that the, the intent there is people, It's not just guys. So the NRSV version, the the version that's in our pew Bibles, translates, I will make you fish for people. And I get the sensitivity. But in this case, I think there's an important loss in the translation. Because Jesus is changing their identity. He's changing their vocation. These were fishermen. I'm a pastor. Mary is a doctor. Melissa is an educator. These are not occasional activities. They're a part of who we are. 
This is the insight of commentator Ted Smith. He says, This makes it sound as if fishing for people were a task. The better translation receives fishing for people as a new identity. A literal translation might read, Follow me and I will make you to become fishers for people. There's a world of difference between I will make you fish and I will make you to become fishers. I will make you fish gives us one more activity to work into our date books. Fish for people. How about every fourth Monday? Can anyone else do fourth Mondays? But I will make you fishers. That promises a whole new life. So with this important change of identity in mind, we'll go back to the story. Where we left the story, Simon and Andrew had just dropped their nets to follow Jesus. They don't go home to wash away the stink of their profession. They don't tie up loose ends. They don't forward the mail. They don't go explain to parents. They have surrendered to a gripping call. Jesus is too compelling not to follow. And the three of them now, Jesus, Andrew, Simon, stroll farther along the shore and come upon James and John mending their nets in the boat with their dad Zebedee. And you see, maybe this is a different rung on the socioeconomic ladder. It appears that Zebedee has a little fishing business going on with boats and hired hands. But when Jesus calls these two, they leave their dad in the boat and follow Jesus. It is not a choice of economics or convenience. Ernest Campbell says, anyone who says, follow me, is going somewhere. The compelling force of pure love led these four men to drop what they were doing and follow. Now, some might try to make the case that Simon and Andrew were just poor bank fishermen anyway. What did they have to lose? But James and John left business and family. The point is, nowhere does anybody weigh the cost. This, this wasn't a calculation. Nobody draws a line down the page with pros on this side and cons on this side. These men have been struck by the bright light of love in the flesh, and they are upended by it. Before the, today, they might have been identified as fishermen, but their identity has changed. Their number one reason to get up each day is to follow, to apprentice their lives to the abundant life that's standing right in front of them wearing sandals. Since I was a kid, I've been singing the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. But we look at these call stories and wonder how much deciding was really going on. Well, um, last week, Nathaniel was shrugging his shoulders and not convinced that any good could come out of Nazareth, much less the Savior of the world. 
But this week, we have four men who seem to, seem to do no weighing or shrugging or haggling or counting the cost. Jesus says, follow me, and they don't even pack a toothbrush. Jesus claimed them. God has taken the initiative, and they have surrendered because Jesus is more compelling than anything else in their lives. Do you remember what it was like when when your Christ experience was fresh and new? Whether your story was like Nathaniel's, uh, the end of a questioning journey, or, or, or like this story, an immediate claim of grace. Do, do you remember how renewing and reorienting your new Christian faith? I, I've heard people describe it all kind of ways. I've, I've heard folks say it was like putting on glasses for the first time and everything seemed focused and alive and clear. Or like, or like having the, the garage and the cabinets and the closets all cleaned and straightened. Everything seemed to have order and seemed to be in its right place. The most common images of clean white linens, after bath freshness, symbolized by white robes and baptismal waters. You have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Behold, all old things have passed away. New life, abundant life, eternal life. Do you remember what that felt like when it was fresh? You see, the reason I said in the introduction that I might have gotten these two sermons out of order is that the motivation for our evangelism, the inspiration for us to share good news, is the reminder of what good news meant when grace first washed over us. When Jesus said, follow me, and we surrendered our lives to apprentice to the embodiment of grace and to join Christ in his mission to reclaim the world through love. Here is the simple equation. Jesus calls us. We follow the voice of that call. And then we call others into the bright good news of God's love in Christ. Part of our discipleship is sharing good news like these fishermen did with each other. In spite of bad models of evangelism, we we don't have to hit people with our lunchbox like Lucy in the comics. We simply love people enough to tell them where new life is found. As former Atlanta pastor Gary Charles says, following Jesus is not like buying an extended warranty on a car. Yes, I'd like to purchase the Christian option just in case there's something to this Jesus, then we're well covered. Our discipleship is a call to drop our nets 
and follow this compelling love wherever he goes. If he challenges our values, our politics, our spending, our prejudice, then we reorient because we have never known anything as true as Jesus. Life abundant is what he promises, and you know it. You you have tasted grace before. And the motivation for our evangelism is to be reacquainted with the force of Christ's love and forgiveness in our own lives. Jesus is making a new claim on our identity too. I mean, whether you're a lawyer, business leader, educator, retailer, fisherman, your new identity is fisher for people. Because good news has claimed your life, you have a new purpose. And it's to love people enough to tell them, I know where abundant life is located. Are you interested? It's this simple equation of our identity. Jesus calls us. We follow the voice of that call wherever it leads. And we call others into the bright good news of God's forgiveness and grace in Christ. Did anybody come to mind for you? Is there anybody that you can think about whose life is worked out in meaninglessness day in and day out and could use the true gift of this good news in their life? That's our call, to love people, to care about people enough to share this good news with them. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.